So a teenage young man was talking with his dad, and the boy had already made a decision. He decided he was going to quit high school right before school was out, and when he was at a very critical point in his high school career. And his dad asked why, and he said, I'm just, I'm just fed up with it all. His father's trying to convince him to stick it out just a little bit longer and stay with the stuff and get what you need. And so he says, son, he's trying to be real philosophical here. He says, son, you, you just can't quit. I mean, all the people who are remembered in history, they didn't quit. Like Abe Lincoln didn't quit. Thomas Edison didn't quit. Douglas MacArthur didn't quit. Elmo Kringle didn't quit. Who, the boy said? Who in the world is Elmo Kringle? See, the dad said, see? You don't remember him because he quit. (laughs) A message today, too soon to quit. Let's read from 2 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, they're handy. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses and I'm going to enjoin you. I want you to help me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me read verses 1 to 4. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. This is an introduction or a a salutation of a letter. Just think of this. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Boy, this is rich. I mean, this is really soaked with greatness. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. We may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, let's read together. I got down to verse 5. So let's read 5, 6, and 7 together. I want you to read with me, okay? Starting. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, and to self-control, and to perseverance, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Now allow me to finish the reading with verses 8 and 9. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the promise. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on this. Heavenly Father, thank you 
for your word. We ask you to bless, multiply, and empower it today. We ask for your Holy Spirit to bring light, to bring truth, to bring conviction. We ask God that these lips be anointed and every heart here be touched through your power, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe not many of us here remember Gracie Allen. Now that tells me something right there. She was a comedian along with her husband George in what we call early TV land. <laughs> There's a true story about her that I'd like for us to hear. She was known for pulling pranks. She was a prankster. And she loved to do these practical jokes on people. And people loved to do the same to her. So it was back and forth, and it was usually pretty, pretty well received. So one day, as she's getting ready to go to work, she receives a small box with a baby alligator inside it. Now, she wasn't sure what to do, so she put it in the bathtub, and then she walked out the door. When she came home from work, later on in the day, she found a note from her maid, and the maid had just left it on the table, on the kitchen table, and it said this. Dear Mrs. Allen, I quit. I don't work in no house with an alligator. Get this. I should have told you this when I started. This is a true story. I just thought it would never come up. <laughs> have you ever felt like quitting something? I mean, I think all of us have had thoughts, at least, about what it would be like to quit at home, at work, at church, in the marriage, even at life with an alligator. It seems there are some things you've prayed over for years, and now you're getting a little weary of it because it just seems that the prayer is doing very little good and you've tried to con control your thought life by, by making it captive to Jesus, and yet you, you find your mind wandering on thoughts of doubt and, and unbelief and gossip or even hate, and you've been at work maybe in the church, and, and you, you, you see that the force of evil has, has become great, and you've given yourself in a great way to live a, a righteous life. And, and let me just put it in, in modern vernacular. You, you really tried. You, you really worked at it. So your thoughts at times have been to say, well, I don't, I, I'm not getting anywhere. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, don't say that word. I'm going to, I'm going to quit. I'm not going on. I, I, I don't want to be there if there's an alligator. Those little babies grow up. Well, we have a letter here in the Bible from the Apostle Peter. Now, Peter's alligator, I think, might have been an uncontrollable mouth. No, he was one of the 12 chosen by Jesus to follow him. Get this. He was one of the inner three, that inner circle, that, that intimate group, Jesus and three of them, that Jesus spent time with more than he did the others. Yet from Peter's mouth came three denials, listen to this, 
that he even knew Jesus Christ. If we were in his shoes or sandals, we could have just said, I quit. I'm done. I'm out of here. That's it. But he didn't quit. And here's what he tells us. And you read it. And thank you for doing such a great job. That really is encouraging. Add to your faith goodness. Add to your goodness knowledge. Add to your knowledge self-control. And to your self-control, add, get this word, perseverance. He's telling us, don't quit. He's telling us it's always too soon to quit. You see, the word from the Greek in our day translated would be stand your ground, keep your place, stick with it. If setbacks come, don't let that stop you from your mission from God. This word is not like telling, it's sort of like telling a soldier to hold his position in the rank wherever he is. You've heard stories of that kind of person who's helped win wars or great battles and so on. One man or maybe a a group of of men and women wouldn't give up until they were relieved of their duty or lost their lives. And because of their courage, they gave to others an opportunity to move on to victory. And they were the true heroes. The two times I've been told that men are tempted, men or women, to give in. Here are the two times most often that we're tempted to give in. And if you think you may not remember this, write it down. First off, when nothing seems to be happening and boredom sets in. And secondly, is when it seems the enemy has the upper hand and you're pretty sure no matter what you're going to lose anyway. And what does Peter say when you get to that point? He says, stand your ground. Alligators or not, this is not time to quit. It's always too soon to quit. So Peter has urged us to be good. He's told us to gain knowledge. That's great. He's let us know we need self-control. We do. We're at the center of all those add-ons that he has in this letter. We're only halfway, and there's still a journey. Now, may we see here that the Christian life is a journey, not a destination. It leads us to an eternal destination. Hallelujah. I'm ready for heaven. Are you? But it in itself is not a destination. It's a journey. We cannot stop. We have a work to do for Christ. Peter says this to us this morning. Don't quit. Too soon to quit. Hold your ground. Always be available. The people Peter's writing to, this is interesting, to have a reason to quit in the conditions they have to live with. Just unbelievable. They seem to have more than their share of alligators. And they faced hardships and setbacks and sicknesses. And they had said yes to God through Christ. It it, it cost them something to follow Jesus. Others around them were hostile to them. Others didn't understand why they would follow a person who had died on a cross. I mean, what sense would that make? Why would they not worship their idols that they'd always worshipped? And they believed these idols brought them good crops and healthy families. And Peter uses the word suffering. You know, he wrote a letter before this one. Interestingly enough, we call it 1 Peter. Listen to this. In the 1 Peter or Petrine letter, Peter used the word suffering. Listen to this, that short book, that short letter. 17 times as the way the Christian would live. Wow. 
Today we think if one is suffering as a Christian that he or she has done something really wrong. You know, you've gone off the rails. Generally, let's be honest here, we're not really given to persevere, but to get rather to give up easy or to say life should not be this rough, why me? Or we conclude that that's the way life should be. Did you know An oyster that has not been wounded in any way does not produce pearls. A pearl is a healed wound. Pearls are a product of pain. They're the result of a foreign or unwanted substance entering the oyster, such as a parasite or a grain of sand. See, the inside of an oyster shell is a in there is a shiny, iridescent substance called nacre. It comes from a French word. By the way, that substance is used to make what we call mother of pearl. When a grain of sand enters that shell, the nacre cells go to work and they cover the grain of sand with layers and layers and layers and more layers to protect the defenseless body from the oyster. As a result, a beautiful pearl is formed. Here's what I want you to remember. The more pearls, the more valuable. So you can take the easy road and quit. You can quit obeying God if it puts you at odds with others at work or in your home or even in the church. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to be faithful. You don't have to walk a holy life. You don't have to believe that Jesus is coming back again. You just quit. Just stop and quit. And, that, you know, the pain will go away. And after a while, just say, I never knew him, and everyone will leave you alone. That's what Peter had gone through. But here's Peter saying, oh, don't quit. Persevere. Persevere. Let's drill down on that word, okay? Persevere. I want to lift that word from our text as our meaningful word to study for a few minutes. And to help you, here are a number of ways to raise your PQ, perseverance quotient. One, grow up. Now, when I say grow up, I don't say it in a mad way. I, it means be independent and take responsibility for yourself. Second, intentionally select positive reinforcement. When someone hands you thorns, find the roses. Three, this one speaks for itself, live healthy. And that means different things to different people. But it should mean a little bit of something to everybody. Four, ask, what is true? Not, not what do others think is true. Too much of that today. Five, when getting advice, getting advice, consider the source. Thank you, Mother. <laughs> mother didn't say a whole lot of really philosophical things, but one thing she taught me, and I can hear her voice saying it, 
when I would repeat something and think it was the truth, she'd say, where'd that come from? Why do you want to know? Consider the source. Six, avoid the no action alibi. I just, I, I was going to go there, and I think I should have done that, and I wanted to do that, but I didn't really, so I just, uh, you know what? I thought it was just better, no action at all. And by the way, a little subscript here. This is a little bit where a lot of Christians are today. Sad to say, don't use the no-action alibi. Seven, identify non-useful habits or thoughts you would like to discontinue. What I'm saying there is focus on what you can do, not what you cannot do. I want to tell you something right here that's worthy of your notes. When you focus on what you cannot do, you get more of it. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to repeat it. When you focus on what you cannot do, you get more of it. Don't be too concerned about how, how others are living their lives. Let them live their lives. If you're so concerned about that, you're forgetting to live your own life. Eight, willingly forgive yourself and others. Why? You're doing it for your own sake. You're doing it for your own peace of mind. You don't forgive someone for their peace of mind. You forgive them and you get peace of mind. Nine, take reasonable risks. I didn't say be a gambler. I don't believe in gambling. But once in a while, a reasonable risk is worth it. It's worth it. And if you don't get anything out of it, at least you do get something out of it. You get experiential truth and you learn some lessons. Ten, get support. Why? Because as Pastor Todd said earlier, everybody deserves to be around folks who are supportive of what they do and supportive of them as a person and supportive of their aspirations. So we all need that. Counseling, call it whatever you want, therapy. But I just call it support because we need the support of one another. And then last, lastly, number 11. Oh, maybe you've heard this before. Don't quit. In one of the earliest and defining battles of the American Civil War, the Battle of Shiloh, it looked like the South was getting very confident, and they figured they're going to win the war fairly soon, and maybe the Battle of Shiloh will determine it all, and they'd come out the victors. On the first day, they had overwhelmed and beaten the North, so by nightfall of that day, the only escape, it seemed, was for them, the North, to retreat and maybe even surrender. I was reading about this man just this week. Uh, if you have a chance to read some of the history back of the behind the great military leaders of that war, tremendous people. His name is James B. B for bird's eye, McPherson. He was the North's chief military engineer, and he came to General Grant, and here's what he said. Sir, things look bad. We've lost our artillery, and a third of the infantry is down. Our line is broken. We're pushed back now nearly to the river. What do you want me to do? General Grant listened and listened, and then said this. Attack in the morning and surprise them. 
Now, today, we'd have an answer for that, of course. One-word answer. Really? You didn't talk to a general that way. What do you want us to do? Attack in the morning and surprise them. Morning came, they attacked, they won, and three years later, the South surrendered. Back to Peter. Peter has given us at least a dozen reasons to those early followers, just kind of following Peter and the people that he's uh, writing to here, and he's really giving them reasons to quit. Like, I know you could quit. I know it might make even some sense to some people, but I, I know maybe, I, want, just want to, I want to go through that list because I think some of those things might be in your thoughts even today, all this 2,000 years later. Look, they were strangers in their world and they were treated like unwanted refugees. Most of those people and their kin from then to now are still being treated that way, even in their own homeland. They had to suffer trials every day. They were always accused of doing wrong and being wrong. They had pain because of unjust suffering. They had terrible working conditions. I would say they suffered for doing what is right. They were allured to sin and made fun of because they wouldn't partake. They were abused. The devil was lurking to pounce on them. False teachers were trying to mislead them. They were made fun of because they believed that Jesus was coming back. Oh, yeah. They may have become disappointed because the Lord seemed slow in fulfilling his promise. That's the backdrop now of these letters. So all in all, we could say for the believers in Peter's day that following Jesus had not been a great career move. It didn't enhance their reputation. It didn't expand their great opportunities, no. They hadn't become rich, popular, or of great influence, no. Instead, those who were following Christ were the strange outcasts. They were things of mockery, distrustful people, and they were always marked for abuse. So their work was harder and harder and harder. And they had family, and they had friends, and they had colleagues. They even had the government of the day were against them. People weren't just talking about them behind their backs. They were saying it to their faces. And it's time to quit. It's time to admit defeat. It's time to get out of this rat race while we still can. I want to tell you that to persevere makes sense. Because of its very definition, hear it. A perseverance is a steady persistence in a course of action. Steady persistence. Or could be called a purpose. And in spite of difficulty, obstacles, or discouragement, you keep on keeping on. If you're heading in the right direction, wouldn't you be a fool to quit? If you found the one road that leads to eternal life, then why would you stray off the course? The Christian life is a race or a battle, if you want. And if in either one, the only thing that really matters is that you win. 
And we've already won. I read the last chapter of the book. What we have in the Christian life is either worthwhile. Listen very carefully. This is almost 49 years of preaching this word, and I want you to hear this. It's either worthwhile what we have and what we're going to have in the Christian life is either worthwhile or we need to give it up. Story I just listened to again this week. I love the story. Some of you have seen it in, uh, in film. It was about two great uh, football players who played back in the 70s for the Chicago Bears. One became a very famous Hall of Fame running back by the name of Gale Sayers. He was... Uh, uh, a black man, and a great athlete. And then there was another guy named Brian Piccolo. Brian was a white man. They both played in the Chicago backfield. They're both running backs. After Gale's freshman year, he was named NFL Rookie of the Year. Look at his stats, you could see why. Then he hurt his knee. Mm -mm. And he thought, his career might be over. Ryan Piccolo sought him out and said, with a little work, you can come back to your career. Gail Sayers didn't like what Brian Piccolo had to say to him. Ryan persevered. Can I say the word again? He persevered to get Gail Sayers to come, and he would be starting... And he, he, if he got better, if he got anywhere near better, undoubtedly he would be the starting running back for the Bears. Piccolo, of course, wanted that position himself. And the day came when he was pretty disappointed when he heard the head coach say, Brian, you're going to be the starting fullback. That means you're going to do the blocking. They played together. Although Brian didn't make the headlines, and he then became, a little later, stricken with cancer. And when Gail, Gail Sayers got the award for the most valuable player one year, he gave all the credit to Brian Piccolo, in that he never gave up on him when his knee went bad. It's a phenomenal story. There are a lot of ins and outs to the story that I didn't include here yet, I, if you haven't read it or seen it on, on, on film, I highly recommend it. My question, though, is this. Here's my question when you think of the Gail Sayers, Brian Piccolo story. Who are you trying to help even though they might be better than you? With today's constant media barrage of bad news, I was going to ask at this point, how many of you watch the news regularly or any kind of news or read some newspapers? Or I think I probably know the answer. But how many of you have heard any good news? Yeah, yeah. All this bad news out there. People feel bad enough already, and they don't want anything that makes them feel worse. That's what author and analyst Cheryl Swanson said. I've followed a lot of the things that she said and written over the last 25 years. With all the info coming at us at 24-7, we're processing information at 400 times the rate of our ancestors. 
This is a new human task that we haven't had time to adapt to yet, and we haven't because just about the time we get familiar with these statistics, they've already changed. They've already multiplied. And so we can't keep up to it physically, and we, some people think they can, but you can't. And, they, and, and, and it's just like the, com- the computer things. As soon as that program, you know, it, it's in, it's good, it's working, guess what? It's all, also obsolete. And we can't keep up to it mentally. That's why we're getting tech-related health problems of all kinds. We've heard of carpal tunnel syndrome, and that was kind of the start of it, but, I mean, that just started it. Now there's so many others, and maybe even mental and neurological problems as well. Tension deficit disorders of all kinds. Cheryl says the information we're exposed to in one day is more than our great great-grandparents received in a lifetime. And she went on to say by her research, back in 2002, so this is 20 years ago, the average adult attention span by that study was less than five seconds. And if you're not cheered up by that, here I'll cheer you up. Because a study was done on goldfish, and their attention span was almost eight seconds. (laughs) Now, with that 400 times more information, it's probably 1,000 now, but it did not come with 400 more hours in a day. So we steal that time from all kinds of regular daily activities, like sleep. That's a big trend, the sleep industry now. New pills, new pillows, new mattresses, the big hotels trying to get the right size that we need. That's all a byproduct of trying to pack too much into the day, and it's the erosion, not the building up of our health system. Now, another thing in, the ero- is in, that, in that list is the erosion also of dinner time, what we used to call dinner time, supper time, Family meal, call it whatever. This is nothing new. In the 1960s, dinner was about 45 minutes long, and it could be stretched into an hour. Nobody would complain. By the 90s, he had now shrunk to 15 minutes. Swanson relates this in her latest study. About uh, 15 minutes found the sit-down dinner now, she says, has evaporated almost entirely and it's now basically five minutes, if that. And it's not even sitting down. Family's not always together. They don't always eat, but they might eat standing up around the kitchen counter. The islands have become now the table or other places in the home. You say, well, I understand, and I can relate to some of the shit. You can, and so can I. Because that's how all of this has transpired in the last 30 years probably the last 50 years. Now, Peter. Peter had his eye on the prize, but he knew that suffering was going to be part of life, at least the life that he was called to live. He had been with Jesus. My friends, remember this. Peter, as a man, had been very close to Jesus. He was right in there, and he knew that Jesus knew how to have a party and enjoy life and you know, enjoy his friends, and think of the great time that I think Jesus enjoyed 
when he fed the 5,000. I don't know why we're still saying 5,000 when it's been clearly shown that the 5,000 was probably either 15 or 20 when you include everybody. He was able to draw a crowd. Once he went across the Sea of Galilee by boat and people went around the lake to see him again and to hear him again. Peter also saw that when Jesus taught them, they weren't just seeking bread, or they shouldn't be, some were, but they wanted real-life meaning, and they were following him, trying to find it. And we're told that many of his disciples just got anxious, and they weren't in it for the right reason, and the Bible says they turned back, and they no longer followed him. That's a sad part of the Scripture. Peter spoke for all the disciples, though, that stayed. And here's what he said. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the only road to heaven. And we choose, choose to follow you. Peter writes to us in his very first letter. If you backed it up and you'd look it up, and if you have time this week, you might want to do it. He gives us five things that will happen as we persevere. Number one, our faith will be developed. Who doesn't want their faith to be developed? Who wants it to be said of them, O ye of little faith? I want my faith to be developed. Secondly, our hope will be made complete. What is your hope today? Where is your hope today? How alive is your hope today? How powerful is your hope today? Three, our desire to follow the lusts of this world will die. Who wouldn't want the lusts of the world to die and not try to allure them and not try to trick them and not try to trip them up on their journey? Four, we'll become more personal in our relationship with Jesus. Who wouldn't want that? Peter certainly wanted it. Hey, 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 Peter blew it. I mean, he really did. He really, he really went off the rails. But what he really wanted was that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And, and I said there were five things in that first letter. And the fifth thing is our lives will become more holy. And Peter kept speaking of that and encouraging us. Because, you know, the foundation of all that and everything that Peter ever wrote the foundation is faith. And faith is the firm belief that God exists. Does your God exist? Huh? Someone asked Billy Graham that one time, and he said, I know he exists because I talked to him this morning. God doesn't desert us. He rewards those who seek him earnestly, and he's not out to destroy us. He's here to perfect us. What a great thought that is. I have some quotes that I like to use, and I love them. Robert Louis Stevenson said this, Saints are sinners who kept on going. The playwright George Bernard Shaw said, People are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, they make them. 
It's also been said that the, this whole thing of persistence or our word for the morning is perseverance. It's like wrestling a gorilla. You don't, you don't rest when you get tired. You quit when the gorilla gets tired. This whole idea of perseverance, I like to call it stick to itiveness, is keenly illustrated from the world of sports. An excerpt from the Christian drama, it's a movie you may have seen just a few years ago, called Facing the Giants. Let's watch this. It's not even funny, dude. <laughs> so, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You gonna give me your best? I'm gonna give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I don't want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. Now get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right, let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. Show me good effort. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. It burning. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. You're back. Don't stop. Keep going. Too hard. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your back. Don't quit. No. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Brock Kelly, you don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. Go, Brock Kelly. You don't quit on me. No, you keep going, you keep going, go run, 10 more steps, 10 more, 10 more, 10 more, keep going, don't quit, give me your heart, you can, you can, five more, five more, come on Brock, come on, don't quit, don't quit, come on Brock, two more, one more, I'm telling you, sissy, I'll have any more. Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. 
You are the most influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Oh, tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach. Can I count on you? Yes. Coach. What is it, Jeremy? I want a 160. Without a doubt, wherever you are today, it is too soon to quit. The two greatest parts of that movie that motivated me and do continue to motivate me, when the coach said, Brock, you're in the end zone. He didn't go 50 yards, he went 100 yards. And when the other boy said, coach, I don't weigh 140 pounds. I weigh 160. See? See, we all can carry more than we're carrying. We all can go farther than we've gone. But don't quit now, because you've come too far to turn back now. And you know what? If your head's up and you're looking, you can see the lights of home, which means our salvation is nearer now than it's ever been before. So don't quit. And let me throw in a couple of things here. Don't quit on Jesus because Jesus never quit on you. Too soon, too soon, too soon to quit. And I just feel so confident today leaving you in the awesome care of God's perfect Lamb, Jesus. For in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, we read, The next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. You didn't get that? Who do you think the world is? Okay, I'm going to do that again. Where did you come from if you're not part of the world? What? Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Amen. And my dear friends, that's the Lamb of the Revelation. Chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 we read, And I beheld the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the, the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 10, times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, I reckon it would be, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So don't quit on Him. He will never quit on you. Bottom, bottom line, it 
is always too soon to quit.